This is the IBJ Podcast for the week of July 11th, 2023, brought to you by Taft. I'm your host, Mason King. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. You know, it's not hard to find the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Museum if you're a fan of the track. It's tucked on the inside of the short chute between turns one and two. The ironic thing is that while the Speedway was originally built as a testing ground for new technology, and the IndyCar series has always made a habit of adopting racing innovation, the museum has seemed increasingly mired in the past. Its exhibits have been mostly static, including a gallery of Indy 500 winning cars that some say resembles the lot at a car auction. Until very recently, the museum only featured one or two new exhibits per year. On July 11th, museum officials announced plans for an $89 million transformation, ushering in a totally redesigned experience for visitors, a robust educational program for school-aged children, and a beefier endowment that would help pay for more and better exhibits. Race fans might be tempted to think that this change is being driven by Roger Penske, who bought the Speedway and the IndyCar series in 2020, but the museum actually is owned and run by an independent not-for-profit, which leases the museum facility from the track owner. In this week's edition of the IBJ podcast, Joe Hale, the museum's executive director, explains how the planned renovation will be much more than a tune-up, more like a rebuild with a sleeker design and all the latest technology to give visitors a greater sense of being in the driver's seat. Here's our conversation. It's my pleasure to welcome to the podcast Joe Hale, Executive Director of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Museum. Joe, thanks so much for making time today. Oh, it's my pleasure, Mason. Do me a favor. Let's jump ahead a few years. Let's say that the project has been completed and I'm now entering the renovated museum. Is it going to look like you have given it a new coat of paint and added some video screens? Or will this essentially be a new museum or somewhere in between? If it looks to you like we've added a coat of paint, we've failed terribly, okay? <laughs> and spent a lot of money to paint the place. Yeah. So it, it will be transformed. I hope you will not recognize one thing from the way it is today. We're literally, you know, when, when we started this project two and a half years ago, we were charged with reimagining the museum from top to bottom. And as you know, we're coming up on our 50th year. Uh, started in 1956 over 16th and Georgetown Road with 12 cars in the, in the museum. So we're coming up on, on, on our 50th year. We knew we had to do something. The HVAC system is basically failing. You know, we got water leaks, but a lot, lot of things that just had to be repaired. And we thought if we're going to go to that extent, why don't we reimagine the whole place? So that's what we've been working on the last two and a half years. Yeah. And I don't think anything, you, you will not recognize anything when you walk in two and a half years from now. So the idea is to be more interactive, more experiential, uh, immersive, educational. Can you give me some examples? Of, of how you would accomplish that? You know, for the last two years, our senior team here, usually about once a quarter, have been going around visiting other museums around the country. Uh, we've been to the, the well, I've been to the Peterson Museum, the Barber Museum, Rev Institute in Florida. We have been to the Air Force Museum at Wright-Patt. We've been to the Kentucky Derby Museum and the Henry Ford Museum. We've really 
taken the time to look at what museums are doing now and really what they're thinking about doing in the future. Because, you know, we, we, we wanted to have something that, as you say, is immersive and interactive and entertaining and all those things. The other thing it's got to be is educational. And that's where we've really fallen behind, in my opinion. You know, we, right now we don't have an educational program for the most part. And Mason, I look around at McLaren and Ray Hall and Andretti and uh, Ganassi building these race shops here in Indiana. There are literally hundreds of very well-paying jobs that are being created right here. And yet I don't know that the schools have a curriculum that are preparing kids for those those careers. Not all of them certainly require a four-year degree. You can learn on the job. You can you have internships and you can actually be trained on the job for a lot of those careers. Our program, we're going to have a STEAM classroom in our new museum. And it's really there to introduce kids to opportunities in motorsports motor racing. That's one of the things that gets me really excited about this new this new museum. Yes, there's going to be there, there there's going to be a lot of technology in it. There are going to be a lot of wow moments in it. We found that we have enough room to put a mezzanine over the winners gallery. So there's going to be a grand staircase going up to the winners gallery. There'll be an oval cut out of the winners gallery to look down on the winning cars with the board Warner Trophy right in the middle of it going to be a lot of really, really cool stuff. The basement is going to be part of the museum. You don't pay extra to go to the basement. A lot of really cool cars down there, as well as a, a kind of an in-the-race experience down there. There'll be a projection map showing the evolution of the track from 1909 to today. So there's going to be a lot of new things there, but at the core of it is really going to be the STEAM curriculum. And, you know, I'm a big believer in lifelong learning, and that we can all we can all learn things. I mean, I've gone to the 500 a lot of years, but I didn't consider myself a car guy when I took this job. Mark Miles is an old friend. He called. He knew I'd had some experience raising money. But, you know, I've learned so much in the last two and a half years. And so, I, you know, I, the, the idea of lifelong learning is important to me. And I think that's going to be a key part of this new museum. Let's just take the Winner's Gallery, because I assume that's still going to be something that you encounter first. Not necessarily. Oh, okay. (laughs) You're you're going to encounter Gasoline Alley. You're going to take a stroll down Gasoline Alley. There will be seven garages representing different eras of the 500. Those garages will be architecturally correct. The cars in them will will rotate out, but would all be during that period. Everything hanging on the walls in those garages uh, is going to be of that era. So you walk down Gasoline Alley. You start with dirt. And then you go to bricks and then it turns into, you know, to asphalt. Then you go into the starting line gallery where you will see the start first row, the starting row of the most recent 500. But the overview in front of you will be an LED screen. There'll be the jets flying over you. You know, it's just going to be very, very immersive. The other thing I hope that's going to be different is, you know, when, when children come in our museum right now, typically they, they hear don't touch that, don't touch that more than anything else. We want to have a lot of stuff that they can touch and do. So, I mean, that starting line gallery, you know, it's going to be a place where you can get your picture taken next to those cars. Now, there'll be show cars wrapped in the livery of the of the most recent front row of the 500, but still you can get your picture taken with them, and it appears to be you are right there at the beginning of the race. Purdue bands playing back home again in Indiana, the Jets are flying over your head, all of that. 
You walk around that screen and then wow, in front of you is the winner's gallery with this grand staircase that goes up to this mezzanine. So you're not going to recognize anything from what it is right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were talking a little bit before we started recording about the winner's gallery. Uh, I've been to the museum several times because my seven-year-old son is in love with race cars. He and his brain knows the context <laughs> of most of the cars. Uh, I'm a dumb adult and I do not. And then one of the things that, that I always wished I could see there was more stories about the individual cars uh, and, and the particular races that they won. Is there going to be stuff like that? Yeah, I think there'll be some of the graphics will certainly do that. You know, it's amazing. We have this incredible group of docents and guides on the floor. These folks are just immersed in our history, everything about the 500. Those people can really kind of make those cars come alive, too, when they tell the stories about them. You know, we also have a, a wonderful vice president of curation and education, Jason Van Sickle. Jason's been with us for quite a while, probably longer than most of us in, in, the, uh, in, in the senior leadership group. And, you know, he, he, I call him our, our Donald Davidson. And no one's ever going to replace Donald Davidson. I know that. But Jason, Jason runs a really close second in terms of his knowledge of the stories around every single car, where it raced, who drove it, what happened, did it wreck, how was it repaired? He, he knows all of that. So, yes, there'll be some graphics that are going to educate you on that. But it, 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 won't, it will no longer be kind of that indoor parking lot uh, you know, when you walk into the museum now, think about it. You really see the whole museum. There's not going to be any surprises because you look left, and that's kind of the galleries where we do rotating exhibitions. Look right, it's the winner's gallery. Hadn't changed much. So the new museum is going to take you on a storyline. It's going to take you on a path and tell you that story of the 500 as you go through the museum. You don't even, you know, right now, if you buy a ticket for one of our tours, you come in the front door, you buy your ticket, and then you leave. I went, wait a minute, wait, let, let's get everybody through the museum before you leave on your tour. So now you'll go down to the lower level. You'll see a lot more cool cars. There'll be two big galleries that will have rotating exhibitions there. You know, this year we've done, we did five exhibitions this year. In the past, we've done one a year. So it's really given people a reason to come back for repeat visits, which we love. I mean, we did that one called Second, about all those drivers that tried to win the 500, but they came in second. You know, what happened? What was the story behind that? Was it a driver error? Was it a mechanical problem? Was it a strategic area on the part of the team? Um, we did another exhibition called Sleek, the Art of the Helmet, where we had nine historic helmets, nine contemporary helmets. And then we commissioned nine Indiana artists to do kind of fantasy helmets. Well, that that exhibition didn't have a car in it, but it turned out to be one of the more popular uh, exhibitions that we've done. So I think you're going to see more rotating exhibitions, too. Mm-hmm. Do I recall hearing about um, some kind of pit stop competition yeah. or or a way that way that I can get involved in a pit stop somewhere in the museum? We're calling it the qualifying gallery. And there will be there be ways in there that you can test your reflexes. There'll be a, a exploded car to see how the thousands of pieces in a, in a car, Indy car come together. Um, there's going to be six simulators in there, so you can drive in the 500 if you want to. Uh, there's going to be an area where you can see how fast you can gas and change, gas up a car and change the tires. Um, so yeah, there'll be a lot of things and we're going to keep a leaderboard going on those simulators too, to see who does the best job, how fast they go. And, and, you know, you can come back and try to move your, move your name up on the uh, simulator board. The other cool thing, uh, 
is that uh, there's going to be a highlights of the Penske collection gallery. Roger Penske admittedly has one of the most extraordinary collections in the world, uh, 19 winning cars in his collection. And so what we call the North Gallery now, it's going to be highlights of the Penske collection. And Roger is going to be rotating from his archives as well as his own collection in that gallery every three to four months. So another, again, more reasons to keep coming back. Okay, let's take a quick break so we can hear from our sponsor. This is the IBJ Podcast. Taft, today's modern law firm, with more than 800 attorneys in eight primary Midwest markets and the District of Columbia, we provide solutions to the business issues facing middle market and emerging companies alike. We do this through a highly collaborative and inclusive team approach. Taft, the modern law firm. To learn more, visit taftlaw.com. Okay, we're back with this week's edition of the IBJ Podcast and our conversation with Joe Hale about the impending transformation of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Museum. So the phase one, tell me if I'm right here, the phase one is $64 million in improvements? $80 million, $89 million campaign, $64 million for the museum itself, Nineteen or 15 kind of phase two for a new restoration job. And then 10 will go on to endowment. And then the revenue from that endowment will allow us to do bigger and better exhibitions. Gotcha. And 64 of it will go to new HVAC, new windows, new fire suppression, all that infrastructure stuff, plus all the new technology that's going to be in the museum for, to make it more appealing to people. And it's the, the way I understand it, it's, it's the mechanical and, and air system upgrades and technology upgrades uh, that is going to, uh, require you to close for 18 months? There's just no way we can stay here when you're putting in windows, new HVAC, the piping, the duct work and everything. We are literally taking it down to the studs and, and starting over. We're not expanding the footprint. It'll still be a 100,000 square foot building, but we're basically doubling the size of the museum because in the past we've only been on one floor and now we're taking the entire lower level too. So we're doubling our exhibition space. Oh, gotcha. So um, the total amount of exhibition space will be? Well, it's going to be about 60, 65, 70,000. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Yeah. And right now we're at 37. So that area in the basement, as I recall, it it was basically storage uh, for a, a ton of vintage, both race cars and passenger cars. I mean, anyone who's a car nut uh, could see some incredible things down there, but it was at least semi-private. Well, it was until about a year and a half ago, and we created the basement collection. Okay. And we took out a lot of cars that really had nothing to do with the 500 or were not particularly important to to Indiana, built, you know, the, 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 the heritage of car manufacturing in Indiana. Put those in storage elsewhere. We relit it, painted it, made it look a little bit better, and we call it the basement collection. Now, we allowed six people at a time to go down there. It was docent led, 30 minute tour, no cameras allowed, $150 a person. And it really has already created about $400,000 in new revenue for us. So it was something I, I couldn't understand when I got here. Everybody kept saying the coolest cars are in the basement, but you can't go down there. And I, I went, <laughs> if the coolest cars are down there, now why aren't we allowing people to go down there? You know, let's try to monetize that. So, you know, plus, 
arguably two of the most valuable cars in the world, our 250 LM Ferrari, our 196 Mercedes are down there too. So it's it's kind of cool. I mean, why do people go to the Smithsonian and wait in line to see the Hope Diamond? I mean, it's basically a rock, but you know, it's one of the most valuable rocks in the world. Well, we got two of the most valuable cars in the world. So I think people are fascinated by that. So currently the the fare to get down there is $150 per person? That's correct. Wow. Will it continue to be that way or will it just be open to the general public? Well, when when we reopen, the basement is going to be part of the museum. There will be no extra charge at all. Mason, we, we had to do something. You know, two and a half years ago, we were losing money and we were doing one exhibition a year and we those were done on a shoestring. So we started this thing called the Chairman's Council. It was for higher end donors. And we have a, a dinner for them once a year. The first year we had uh, David Letterman interviewing Bobby Rahal. Uh, this past year we had Derek Daly interviewing Mario Andretti. Uh, so it's, you know, it's, it's really kind of an int- a fun, exclusive event. And then if they want to pay extra, we'll take them on. We do a trip each year. We've gone to the Peterson Museum. This year we're going to the Goodwood Revival in England. Uh, in September. So if they, if they want to pay extra for that, those two things have allowed us to do those five exhibitions now. Those two things allowed us to do the feasibility studies that were necessary to see if this building could accommodate what we wanted it to accommodate structurally from an engineering standpoint. Uh, and then it also allowed us to do a feasibility study to see, gee whiz, can you guys raise $89 million? And so we really went to the market and interviewed a lot of people. And uh, the answer that came back was absolutely. And then, as you saw on Tuesday, we announced that Lily Endowment has very generously given us a $20 million grant. Randy and Mary Rogers, a wonderful couple, couple here. I have no idea they even had a connection to the 500, but her family actually used to own the National and the Marvin Wash. And... Um, they announced a $10 million gift to us. Our board has come up with about $10 million themselves in pledges. So we were able to cobble together nearly $50 million, and that was only from about two dozen donors. So now that we've gone public with this, we're able to talk about it broadly, and I, I'm confident that we're going to be able to raise our, raise our, our nut there. So the renovation is supposed to begin in November, is that correct? November 6th, we'll close on November 6th and reopen on April, in April of 25, right before the 109th running of the race. Gotcha. So you're confident you can at least get the $64 million that's required for the physical improvements and the programming improvements by that time? Well, I hope we'll, bla- have, by that time, have blasted through our $89 million goal. Gotcha. As I recall, I mean, the, the museum has been talking about doing some kind of very splashy renovation for many years. We had a story on our, on the front page of our paper in 2018 about a plan. You arrived in January, 2021. Now, were there elements of a plan there that you could use at that point or that have made it in the final, or did you really want to start over? We wanted to start over. It was so dependent on technology and the price tag that I saw, this was all done well before uh, I was here, but the price tag that I saw was more than three times what ours is. And I don't know that they went further to do any kind of feasibility study at that point to see whether or not they could have raised it. But I mean, it was 
it was extraordinary. I mean, it was wow. I think then when Roger bought the track, and then of course, then the world shut down about three weeks later, uh, I think it was time to kind of reconsider and rethink things. And we have a wonderful relationship with IMS. They're our landlord. I don't think a lot of people realize that we are a separate 501c3 nonprofit organization. Because I know some people are probably thinking, well, why didn't Roger just pay for it? You know, he's got he's got a fair amount of money. But we are a separate organization. You know, Roger is not on our board of directors. We have an independent board chaired by a man named Rob Dyson. Doug Bowles is on our board, which is, you know, great to have Doug involved. But, um, you know, we're, we're separate. We're a separate C3. And so it's really our responsibility to raise this money. We can't depend on IMS. But. They're a benevolent landlord. We use this building for free, and we get to do those tours around the track, the Kiss the Brick tours. They allow us to do those as well. So the Speedway is your landlord. <laughs> so my, my thought is, you know, if they own the building, uh, why don't they at least cover the, the mechanical stuff? Well, I mean, we're, we're going to be a long-term tenant, believe me. And um, I think that they appreciate the role that we play. I'm not saying that, you know, we're the greatest marketing arm for the 500, but but my goal for everybody that comes in here, and keep in mind that 80% of our visitors are from outside the state of Indiana. Our goal is that by the time they leave, all they want to do is buy a ticket to the next 500. So I guess in, some, in many ways, we are a marketing arm of the 500, even though we're independent. But, you know, our goal is to tell the story, keep the history, and also encourage people to become fans of this race and this place. Oh, I, I wanted to ask you again about the $15 million uh, that would go towards a restoration facility yep. uh, somewhere fairly close to, to the museum. What do we mean by by uh, restoration or renovation space? Well, we, we actually have, what, a six and a half member uh, restoration staff right now. We try to keep as many of our cars running as we can. I, at, at race morning, I don't if you're even familiar with it, if you're in your seat by then, but we typically have 10 or 12 cars. We've got drivers in them. Mario did one. Lynn St. James was driving one this year that do this lap around the track. So it's really important for our cars to be running and to keep as many running as possible rather than just pickle them and put them in the, you know, to, to in, in the basement forever. So those guys are working all the time. In fact, um, our for our 250LM, the Ferrari, won best of show at Amelia this year. We didn't even enter it in the competition, and they chose it in spite of the fact that we didn't want it judged because we didn't feel it was right for a museum's car to go up against individual owners, but they did. So, I mean, we're going to have three cars at Pebble Beach uh, next month. We always have cars in Amelia. We've got cars at uh, the Hilton Head Concourse, Cincinnati. We've loaned them to the Peterson before. They just had this Andy Warhol show where he did silk screens of poor Mercedes, and he did one of our 196 uh, Mercedes. So we're constantly loaning cars out as at the same time that we're borrowing cars from those museums for exhibitions that we're doing, too. So I think that's, you know, that's certainly going to continue. Right. But there's there would be a facility where you'd be working on the cars. That would be something that visitors could could check out. No, I mean... If you've ever been to Rev in Naples, Florida, Miles Collier's Museum, I've been there a couple of times, and it is amazing how many people will pay extra to, I'm going to say, watch paint dry. The day I was there, no, the day I was there, they were redoing 
the paint, the livery on a very historic car. 35 people were standing around with a guy in a tiny little paintbrush making that happen. They were watching paint dry. But I do think if we do this right, again, it's very early, but let's say it's someplace five, 10 minutes from the track and it can be an adjunct part of your tour. You come to the museum, you pay an extra five bucks, eight bucks, and you go over and see really cool cars being restored. And then possibly some of ours stored there as well because we can't accommodate the 200 cars that we own right here in this building. So it could be a really, really cool add-on to a tour, a, a visit to the track. I got you. But yeah. it also, I mean, is very practical, serves a very practical purpose, which is keeping the cars in shape. And right now we're in two garages inside the track. And, you know, and IMS, they have let us know by the end of 25, they've got some other uses for those. So, you know, we're, we, we, we've got a deadline and we've got to meet that deadline by the end of 25, hopefully. Now, how many full-time employees does the museum have now? We have, I think it's 18 in our kind of leadership group, if you will. Those are full-time employees. That also includes the, the six and a half people in our restoration shop. And then we've got 80 hourly folks that help us, our docents and guides, probably the most important people here because they're they're the people that make the first impression. And at least since I've been here, I can't tell you the number of letters and emails that I've gotten about how friendly this place is and how the people downstairs are so welcoming. And they're, they seem to be so glad to be there. And they're, they're tickled pink that people are coming to visit and they want to share all the information that they have. So 80 hourly and about 18 full-time. For the transformed museum, are you going to need more full-time employees? A few. Obviously, we got to beef up an education department, and uh, we're, we're drafting that job description now. And, and yeah, there's going to be some additional needs, uh, a little bit more support maybe than we have now. I don't think it's going to be a huge addition, though. Mm. And the, the 80 folks uh, who... Uh, you'd say primarily our docents or guides, uh, they are going to have to cool their heels for 18 months. Well, except we're going to be doing all the tours here still. So we're going to have to employ a lot of those folks. Um, there's the Pepsi building next door to us, the little building, and uh, half of that's going to be ours to run tours out of. And the other half's going to be uh, uh, merchandise. So, you know, we want to stay relevant while we're closed. And we've worked really hard I don't know if you're aware, but right now at the Indiana State Museum, there's an exhibition called Vintage Vision. Well, we approached the State Museum about doing that because we knew we were going to be closing. Those are all cars from our collection. Mm. All of them were constructed, built right here in Indiana. We've also had conversations with Newfields, with the Children's Museum, with the Stutz, about maybe doing smaller exhibitions in their space as well. We'll continue to do our speaker series, our Fuel Up Fridays. These have become very, very popular we'll, where we'll have, you know, Marcus Erickson come in and Doug Bowles will interview him. You come in, get a drink, sit down, listen to this interview, and then they, they always stick around and, and, and sign autographs. So that's all going to continue. It just won't happen here for a while. Uh, are your operating expenses going to go up? Well, a little bit. It, it's just inevitable, inevitable that they're going to go up somewhat. You know, the, 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 the arrangement we've had in the past, IMS did take care of some of those. Now that we're becoming more independent, we'll have to do that. They're going to go up, but not substantially. We've done um, a lot of modeling with different price points in terms of admission. Uh, we looked at the admission prices, I think, of 50 different sport museums around the country. 
And, uh, you know, right now we're at 15 bucks. If you're an adult, it goes that much down much further. If you're a senior military, um, you know, I don't think it's going to be a huge boost from that, but I think it will go up a little bit just to help us pay for some of the increase in operating costs. And you mentioned too the, the endowment, you hope to have a $10 million endowment. Um, I just did a little back in the napkin. If you get uh, 5% on that money, you have $500,000 a year to play with. Uh, what, what do you expect to use that money for? A little more conservative. We, we do a 4% draw. Um, we've already got a little endowment. Okay. We put it together in the last couple of years. So there's, there's about 7 million in for the care of the collection, the cars to keep them up and running. And then there's another, we've got another small endowment of about 3 million. So let's just say we end up with, by the time we're done, 15 million and we take 4% of that. That's $600,000 a year. What that's going to allow us to do is do exhibitions that people expect today with museum quality lighting, with museum quality graphics, with museum quality displays. We have been ha- hampered because we haven't had that kind of budget to do do this in the past. And, uh, you know, the woman that, de- that described our winner's gallery as a, you know, uh, a, 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 a indoor parking lot set in the middle school cafeteria, she may have been not too far off then, but <laughs> it's not going to look like that going forward, believe me. When was uh, that? That was my first week here. <laughs> is it a visitor or a staff member? That was a visitor. Okay. She also said we had books on the wall. They were too long for anybody to read. Uh-huh. Anyway, we've, we've learned a lot in the last two and a half years. And uh, so I think we're going to remedy some of those situations. But uh, no, it's going to allow us to do much more interesting and provoc- provocative and interesting sh- exhibitions than we have in the past. You know, we really haven't done anything about women in racing here. We haven't done anything about, you know, minorities in the history of this track. And I think those are topics that, you know, I think you're going to see more thematic shows than we've done in the past, rather than, you know, here's Mario Andretti. This show is going to be up for a year, followed by A.J. Foy. That's going to be, those cars are always going to be at the heart of everything we do. Believe me, believe me. But, you know, we, we have the car guys. They're, they're coming and they're happy to be around those cars. We've got to expand our market. We got to expand our audience. We got to get that next generation of race lovers in here too, 500 fans in here too. So the program is going to reflect that. I'm going to give you uh, some unsolicited advice for my seven year old son. He is fascinated by margin of victory uh, and, and can recite like the top 10. But I mean, he's looking for ways to contextualize that. So, just want to throw that out there. Um, I think the that's think, good. Yeah, just some just something to play with. Um, the timing element of of the uh, of, of of the race is is the most fascinating to him. So there you we'll, go. We'll keep that. We'll keep. I just made a note of that. Uh, you know, and the two shows we got up to just open right now, nineteen fifty six. We actually got the we we have the twelve original cars. They were in the first museum at 16th and Georgetown Road. And we've, we've reassembled them in this museum. So we wanted people to see, as we're getting ready to close, we wanted them to see the first exhibition that was ever exhibited at the 500 Museum. And then the other thing we've done, we've got, it's called Our Collection, Your Favorites. And we let, the, we let our, our visitors vote. It's like the People's Choice Award. And so it's really interesting because, you know, not everybody thinks AJ's first winning car is the most important one. And so we really have a variety of cars down there uh, in that exhibition. So it's a lot of fun, a lot of fun. Right. 
now and then and then in another gallery we have soon probably next month we're going to have renderings of the new museum so anybody that comes in and kind of see what we have in mind well i mean this is very exciting and uh, we will check in with you here in a little bit of time to see how things are going please do please do mason thank you so much for having me on thank you my thanks again to joe hale and folks, before you get on with the rest of your week, there are a few stories in the latest issue of IBJ that I want to draw to your attention. First up, in the last two years, the Indianapolis arts community has experienced head-spinning turnover at the top of some of its most prominent institutions, including Newfields, Indiana Repertory Theater, Dance Kaleidoscope, and Heartland Film. Dave Lindquist explores how leadership changes can affect an organization's relationship with existing donors while potentially making inroads with new audiences. Also in this week's issue, John Russell takes the temperature of Hamilton County's Riverview Health Hospital System, which is dealing with a flood of red ink and competition from larger healthcare systems. And Susan Orr checks in with Hoosiers who have federal student loans about their concerns as they prepare to restart payments. Again, you can find these stories in the latest print edition of IBJ, or you can find them online at ibj.com. And thanks again for making time this week for the IBJ podcast. I'm Mason King. Hang in there, everybody. We'll be back again next week.